Thank you, worship team. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, open up to Jonah. Jonah's in the Old Testament, if you don't know where it is, so that should help, right? <laughs> uh, Jonah, we're going to be starting a new series today. This is our summer sermon series, and so we are very excited. We're going to spend five weeks covering this uh, short, only four chapters long, short, but very pivotal and impactful uh, part of God's word nestled there in the Old Testament and amongst the minor prophets. The story of Jonah is amazing, and so I hope that you uh, are prepared. I hope you're ready. Um, I hope you have a Jonah scripture journal. So we were selling those over the last couple of weeks. I think we had a few left this morning uh, for purchase. I don't know yet if there's any left at all, uh, but if so, we do have a few. Cool. So if you don't have one right now, you can pick up uh, one after the service, and uh, if not, you can go on Amazon. They're only $5.99 on Amazon, um, but you get them $5 here, so there you go. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, I hope you got your journal with you. I hope you're ready to take notes. It's going to be great. Uh, so I'm going to try my best to avoid uh, any puns that have to do with water or swimming or things like that, even though it's very tempting. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. All right. Uh, sorry. Just, just had to throw it in. Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we get to study your word today together. And over these next five weeks, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and show us what this is really about. Show us who you really are and show us who we really are. Lord, show us the gap between us and you and show us the only way for that to be closed, the only way for it to be reconciled and the only hope of this world. Lord, would you show us that? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever looked at something, a task, a challenge, and just said, you know what? That's impossible. There's no way. I can't do that. Like, so for example, maybe you have no problem with jogging around your neighborhood, you know, every now and then for exercise, but when someone invites you to participate in a marathon with them, you know, one of those overachievers, right? When they invite you to participate in a marathon, you're like, bro, I jog around my neighborhood once a month. Like, I am not ready. I can't do that. It's impossible, right? That's the language we would use. Now, the question, though, is for some of us, maybe it is impossible. Maybe there are physical limitations. But for many people, it's like, well, is a challenge that great? Is it really impossible or am I just not willing to put forth the work and the effort and the training that it takes to actually do it? You see, when we look at the story of Jonah, what we see on the outset looks impossible. God has a mission, a challenge, a task for Jonah to accomplish, but Jonah in his mind thinks this is impossible, there's no way, this can't happen. But as we're going to see today and over the next five weeks, is that really true, though? Is this mission that God gives Jonah, and as we're going to see that he gives us to reach the world with the hope and the message of salvation in his name, is it really impossible to do that? Or are we timid? Are we afraid? Are we lazy? Are we indifferent? to the needs around us and the spiritual lostness 
that fills our earth. I want us to go into Jonah today with humble hearts and a mindset that realizes that maybe, maybe we're not putting forth the effort we should. Maybe the task seems so great to reach seven billion people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but how hard are we trying really, day in and day out, in the circles of influence that God has put us? So can we go into that prayerfully? Can we go into these next five weeks with that spirit of humility and that openness to God's word convicting our hearts? Can we do that? Amen? Well, let's, let's get into Jonah chapter one. We're gonna start in verse one, and I got what you probably would think is good news. We're only gonna cover three verses today. But it's gonna be a normal length sermon, so you're not that lucky, don't worry. All right, Jonah chapter one, verse one. We're gonna just read the first verse and we're gonna explain some things about the context. So here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So let's stop right there. I want us to talk just a little bit about the historical context so you can kind of get a general idea of what's going on in the world and particularly this part of the world and who Jonah is. So. Who's Jonah? Why is God speaking directly to him? So if you're taking notes in your Jonah scripture journal, uh, write these down. So we've got some fast facts about Jonah that are really helpful to understand before we dive into the rest. So fast facts about Jonah. So we know a few key, t- a few key details about Jonah from 2 Kings chapter 14 uh, where he is mentioned. So here's what you need to know about Jonah. Number one, he was a prophet of God, all right? So in the days of Jonah, God spoke through prophets. And he did that because he, was, he would use a prophet to speak to a people in a particular place, encouraging them to repent of their sin, of their evil ways, and turn to him for salvation, right? And so Jonah is one of those prophets, as we see throughout the Old Testament. Jonah is one of those, right? We also know that Jonah is from the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, he was born and raised just a few miles from Nazareth where Jesus was born and raised. Of course, many years later, Jesus came. But we know that Jonah grew up there in the northern kingdom of Israel. We know that he served as a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Now, King Jeroboam reigned from 782 to 753 B.C. So I hope that gives you some historical context. Of course, we're all very familiar with the 700s B.C., right? No. But at least you know the general time and what's going on in the world. During his reign, here's what you need to know about King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam expanded the borders of Israel during his reign. They had shrunk down, they had been conquered, and so he... Uh, he expanded the borders. So Jonah had seen great prosperity. He had seen this great expansion of of Israel's borders to the likes they had not seen since King Solomon, one of the greatest kings of Israel. And so Jonah, I would guess, would be probably a pretty popular guy because 2 Kings chapter 14 tells us that Jonah was the one who announced that the borders of Israel would expand, that Israel would receive this prosperity from God. And so, of course, when somebody tells you, hey, your country is going to get bigger and you're going to have prosperity, and then it actually happens, well, that guy's pretty popular. And so Jonah was a popular guy. So 
Now, God has another task for Jonah. He's got another message to tell people, except this time it's not for his own people. This time his message is not for Israel. It's actually for one of Israel's greatest opponents, one of their greatest geopolitical enemies. Look at chapter 1 again. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Nineveh was a large city in the ancient world in the nation of Assyria. Nineveh is, I think, about 200 miles north of where Baghdad, Iraq is uh, present day. So that kind of gives you some, an idea on the map. And the Assyrians at the time were historically known for their violence. So the NIV Study Bible, in fact, says that Assyrian cruelty to its defeated foes is legendary. Listen to this. One king of Assyria boasts of piling up both living captives and severed heads before his gate, impaling hundreds of soldiers, and burning to death adolescent boys and girls. This was a wicked people. They were overtly evil. They did not worship the one true God, and they were violent to anyone who was a threat to them in any way. So think about this message to Jonah. For God to tell a prophet, any prophet, to go to an enemy of Israel and call out against them, that's what the words say there in verse 2, here's what that means. That means, number one, God is very displeased with their evil ways. And he is going to bring judgment down on them if they don't turn away from their evil ways. But number two, to even send a prophet to these people means that God is going to give them a chance to repent. The word repent means to turn away from your sin and turn to God instead. He is giving them the opportunity to change their ways, to stop trusting themselves, stop trusting their power, stop trusting their might and their political greatness, and turn to God instead for everything that they want and all of their peace and prosperity. So don't miss this. God's warning to them is an act of grace. So Jonah, being a prophet of God, it's his job to call people to repentance as one uh, author, Richard Koken, points out, Jonah should be excited about this opportunity. I mean, he, it's his job. It's like a preacher, and you give a preacher a chance to go preach to some people who don't know Jesus. Like, yeah, let's do it. Jonah should be excited, right? But what does he do? Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God comes to Jonah. He says, hey, I've got a mission for you. Arise, go. But Jonah rose to flee 
Instead of getting ready for this mission trip and actually going, he got up and fled. Literally in the opposite direction. As far away as possible. Now, here's the thing. We're not exactly sure where the ancient town or city of Tarshish, and that is how you say it, kind of weird, Tarshish, right? We're not exactly sure where that location was, but some scholars believe and have reason to believe that it was on the western side of the Mediterranean Sea, possibly even on the Atlantic coast of Spain. Now, in the ancient world, that's significant because Spain was literally, in their thought, the end of the earth. So Jonah is not only running away, right, <coughs> away from Nineveh, which would have been, in, again, modern-day Iraq, right? He's not just going in the opposite direction. He's literally trying to get as far away from there as possible. Now, why would a prophet of God do that? It's his job to preach to these people. Why is he essentially resigning, right? I mean, this isn't just like going on vacation. I think this is a one-way ticket. I think he's out of there forever. Why is he resigning his job? Why is he quitting? Why is he disobeying God's direct command? And Why does he think he can hide from the presence of God? As we go through the entire story of Jonah over the next five weeks, you see, we're going to see more and more of Jonah's heart and his character, but even more so, we're going to see the depth and the character of God himself. We're going to start that conversation today by looking at the major theme of this story as a whole and then some initial problems we see in Jonah's heart. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the major theme of Jonah. The major theme of Jonah is it is our responsibility to reflect God's compassion for the lost. It is my, it is yours, it is our responsibility as God's people to reflect his compassion for those who don't know him. So let's talk about that. Notice how the whole book of Jonah starts out with these words. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So what that tells us is this was not Jonah's idea. You see that? God is the initiator here. Excuse me. God is going to use Jonah to continue his mission of rescuing the world from the curse of sin. You know, ever since sin entered the world through the first humans, God has been on a rescue mission. Because our sin condemns us before God, that's why we need rescuing. Remember what he told Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3? He said, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, all along, all throughout human history, God has intended to use people, his people, to drive his rescue mission forward. All along, God has given the responsibility to those who do know him and follow him to share the hope of salvation with those who don't. It's his mission. But but he calls us to join him in it. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah here, he's telling Jonah that he has a part to play. 
a responsibility to drive the rescue mission forward, specifically to a certain group of people, right? Look at verse 2 again. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You see, that statement alone shows us two aspects of God's character. He's not going to sweep Nineveh's sins under the rug, right? He will judge them for their sin. However, he's compassionate towards them and is giving them a chance to repent, a chance to turn from their sin before his judgment falls on them. So this shows us God is wrathful towards sin, but he's also gracious towards sinners in giving them the opportunity to turn to him in faith. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so we see here that in the first two verses of Jonah, we see the compassion of God. We see that it is God who wants to save Nineveh, but also we see him giving a responsibility given to Jonah to play a part in that redemptive process. So from Abraham to David to Jonah to us today, all along, God has called and commissioned his people to join him in this great rescue mission to bring people the hope of salvation so they can experience God's salvation for themselves. It's our responsibility to reflect God's compassion for the lost. However, Jonah doesn't seem to have that same compassion for the Ninevites. I'm afraid that what we see here keeping Jonah from joining God in his mission to save Nineveh, that could also be true of us. So I want us to ask ourselves two questions. One, what keeps us from joining God in his mission to save the world? Could it be the same things as Jonah? And if so, two, what or how do we overcome these obstacles? So let's ask ourselves that today as we reflect a little bit more on these three verses. What keeps us from joining God in his mission to save the world? You know, we often, it's easy for us to look outside of ourselves and see all the problems in the world and point our fingers and turn on the news and be disgusted. But what if I told you that the greatest problem with the world is within our own hearts? The greatest problem is not what you see on the news, it's what you see in the mirror. I think we see and we look at Jonah, and unfortunately, as sad and as hard as this is for us to do, we need to be a little self-reflective here and see ourselves in Jonah. Number one, what keeps us from joining God and his mission to save the world? Well, we may have an us versus them mindset. An us versus them mindset, what is that? You know, from an early age, we are taught that we must choose sides, right? So, I mean, this starts real young, right? So my, my five-year-old son, Barrett, <coughs> excuse me, my five-year-old son, Barrett, he loves to play uh, pirates. And so the first question when we're about to play pirates is, are you a good pirate or a bad pirate? 
He needs to know which one I am because guess what? He's going to be on the other side, okay? So sometimes I'm the good pirate. Sometimes I'm the bad pirate. I especially like being the bad pirate. It's more fun, right? But we always are choosing sides, even in the sports world, right? I mean, the Jag- you see rivalries like the Jaguars and the Titans, right? I mean, we're supposed to be rivals, but let's be real. It's hard to have a true rival when you lose to everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> but here's the thing. When it comes to friendly competition in games or playing pretend or sports, us versus them, hey, that's all good and fine. But the problem is that this is how our world operates today in almost every arena. It's all us versus them. In almost every case, politics, social, economic, class, right, race, you name it. It's us versus them. But because because we are sinful creatures, that's why that's the case. There is an innate desire in us to pursue self-preservation for ourselves and our group of people who are like us and our tribe. And therefore, as we seek to preserve our own, we look down upon others and anyone else who doesn't belong to us. Because it feels so good to put others down, doesn't it? It feels good to us to put others down and to make them look less superior or inferior, I should say, and feel better about ourselves. We are masters of self-preservation. This was a big part of Jonah's problem, and you cannot overlook this. Jonah did not like the Ninevites, and you may say for good reason, but he did not even care to think about the fact that they were created in the image of God just like him, that they needed the hope of salvation just as much as he did. When God speaks to Jonah and tells him to go preach to Nineveh, Israel's enemy, their political enemy, right? When Jonah hears this, you can only imagine the initial shock that is running through his mind. Whoa, God, anybody but them. I mean, hey, I'll go to my neighbor across the street who I know fairly well, and I'll talk to them about God. But Lord, do not send me to them. Seriously, anybody but them. Jonah loved his country. He was a proud Israelite. But he took all of these passions and these things to preserve his own people to an idolatrous level so that he began to hate any other people or nation or group that posed a threat to his own comfort. Hated them to the point that he wanted them to die and receive God's judgment. He did not want them to be saved. He refused to share the hope of salvation with them. Do you see that? Now, this, is, this could be true of us on a corporate level, but let's not even think so big. Just think in your own personal life, your personal relationships you have with other people. Who have you made them in your category? Who have you put into that category that you feel like you can't associate with? Maybe it's someone you're just holding a grudge against from some way they've wronged you in the past. Maybe you have an unforgiving spirit towards a family member or a friend from something in the past and you won't let it go. And so you have placed them in a category of their own. And you've essentially written them off and said, there is no hope for this person. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not going to share the message of Jesus. I'm not going to share the redemptive love. I'm not going to display that to them. I'm going to go out of my way to avoid them. 
You see, we think so large scale sometimes with things like this, but boy, this, is, this can be personal. This could be in your own house. This could be in your own neighborhood. This could be in your own workplace, in your own school. The people that you are avoiding because you've got something against them that you have constructed in your mind that they are for some reason not as deserving as God's grace as you. Number two, like Jonah, we may be choosing comfort over mission. We may be choosing comfort over mission. Here's what we mean. See, there was a great level of risk here for Jonah to actually obey God, right? I mean, this was not a safe mission. He would be the foreigner in a hostile enemy nation telling them how evil they are, right? I mean, this would be no different today in today's world than you going to a, uh, a, a nation ruled by a communist dictator or something like that where Christianity was illegal and they were very violent and persecute Christians, and those exist, by the way. And we need to pray for our missionaries and Christians who are native to that area who are living out the gospel. Even in the midst of that persecution, we should pray for them, we should support them financially, which we do through the International Mission Board and other offerings we collect during the year. But let me tell you, that it would be no different than God telling you to go be a missionary full-time in a place like that today, and that's what he's telling Jonah. So put yourself in his shoes. Would you have chosen comfort over that risk? Possibly. Let's not pat ourselves on the back too quickly. But Jonah's desire here for comfort outweighed his desire to see other people come to know the Lord and spend eternity with God instead of perishing in hell forever. Do you see that? It was his personal comfort that outweighed the comfort and the eternity of others. As we will see next week, the great irony here in all of this is that while Jonah was trying to preserve his life, he almost lost it. In fact, he wanted to lose it. He got to a point of despair where he wanted to die. He didn't want any risk in his life. He wanted comfort. He wanted the success of being the popular prophet who preached the prosperity and the expansion of the borders of Israel, as God did. That was an act of God. It was a grace of God, but he wanted that popularity. He chose that over obedience to God's commission. Have we constructed an us versus them mentality? Are we choosing comfort over mission? Those are the questions we have to be honest and ask ourselves about. But... Here's how we need to wrap this up today. How do we overcome these obstacles? If that is true, if even any of this is partially true about our own hearts, how do we overcome these obstacles from pursuing the mission of God with him and reaching the lost in this world? Do you see here how, how looking at Jonah's example alone, it just really leaves you wanting more, you know? It just leaves you with this empty feeling. He's not a good example for us. We, we are crying out in our hearts as we read this story for something better than Jonah, something greater, someone. And there is. Jesus, Jesus said this about himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, 41. You heard Ben read this during worship. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. You see, like Jonah, Jesus was also sent by God to preach his message of salvation 
to his enemies. However, whereas Jonah ran in the opposite direction of this dangerous mission to preserve his life and save himself, what did Jesus do? Jesus walked straight into the dangerous mission, giving up his life to save his enemies. Something greater than Jonah had come. And it's not until we fully understand and appreciate deeply in the root of our heart that we were that enemy of God. You and I, we are the Ninevites. We're the ones who have looked to God, our creator, and said, no thanks, I'll just answer to myself, not your authority. I'll live the way I want and the way I choose. I'm gonna choose comfort over risk every single day of the week. I'm gonna create this us versus them mentality and I'm going to keep myself and preserve my life and do things and answer only to myself, God. I'll come to church every now and then though to make other people think that I love you. Boy, we are guilty of that in our hearts to our core at some point in our lives, every single one of us has had that hypocrisy about us, has had that mentality that we will use God in some way when it's good for us or makes us look good, but the rest of the time, it is us. We are the boss. And it is not until we understand that we are the Ninevites, we were that enemy, that Christ died for us, even though we wanted nothing to do with him. It's only when you become deeply grateful for that act, the infinite act of sacrificial love for you. It's only when you cherish that, when you embrace it and you deeply appreciate it, that you can overcome those same obstacles that Jonah had that keep you from reflecting the compassion of God to others. That is the only way. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says it's so Beautifully and so well, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, his enemies Christ died for us. You know, think of, just think of everyday life, how when somebody does something nice or kind to you, what does that, what does that do inside of you? It kind of motivates you to do something nice to somebody else, doesn't it? Just for example, imagine, what's, what's the most, what's the nicest, most generous thing in the world that somebody could do for you right now? Buy you a tank of gas, Right? That's it. So let's just say that you leave here today, and if you're like me, you've been riding around on empty for like a month now, right? It's just $5, $10, all right, let's, you know? So let's just say you eat lunch, you, you realize, oh man, the light's on again, let's go fill up, and a stranger approaches you, of course you're getting nervous, like what's about to happen, and they say, hey, I'd like to fill your tank up with gas. I know I don't know you, and please don't be weird or startled. I just feel like I want to do something really nice for you. There's no catch. In fact, here, here's, here's, the, here's the $200, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you imagine something greater? And how would that make you feel? You would leave there and you would say, I don't deserve this. This is incredible. 
But I, I think there would really be something inside of you deep down that would say, you know what, I need to pay it forward. I need to do something else nice for someone. If we would think that way about someone, a stranger, buying us a tank of gas, and we would be so compelled to do something kind to someone else, how much more, how much more should we cherish the gift of salvation that Christ has given us? The good news, which is real sacrifice. The real payment for our sin. That he absorbed the wrath of God upon himself that was meant for us and died in our place. It should have been us that died that death on the cross. And he took that penalty for you. You see, we're too easily pleased. We're, we're, we're so pleased by the little trivial things of this world and money and, and things and, and vacations and all these things that make us happy that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. And we overlook and undermine the greatest imaginable gift you could ever possess that we've been given in Christ. Salvation from our sin. A relationship with Jesus forever that we get to live with him and experience his goodness and grace for the eternity, all time. We act as if that gift is not that great. We fail to let that sweet, beautiful, powerful gift melt the barriers in our heart that keep us from joining God in his mission. We say it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Like Jonah, we work so hard to form our own little kingdoms while ignoring so much of the rest of the world. And for what? In Christ and his kingdom, we have been given the eternal riches of heaven. We are the inheritors of everything this world has been striving for all along. Peace, joy, security, health, prosperity, all these things are yours in Christ Jesus for eternity. So why waste time now trying to pursue our own selfish agenda in life and tribe and group when we have the cure the world really needs to hear? The gospel obliterates our need for self-preservation. And when that barrier is torn down, well, then the mission doesn't seem quite as scary. We're willing to take risk. You know, there will be risk. I don't want to undermine that. There will be risk when you are sharing the gospel with the lost people that God has placed in your life. They absolutely may mock you. They may start trying to avoid you. You may lose that friendship. They may try to belittle you and your intelligence. There's all kinds of risk that you're taking when you reach out and you start forming a friendship with someone in hopes of eventually getting to the gospel message and talking to them about their salvation. Oh, there's great risk involved. And so we often take the easy way out, which usually just means not even trying. Looking at the marathon and saying, there's no way I could ever do that. We never even seek out the opportunities. We suppress those moments. We ignore them. But we can't choose comfort over mission. God's mission always involves risk. And so I want to ask you today, where are you running from mission? Where are you running from the presence of the Lord? In other words, where 
Are you trying, like Jonah, to run from God's presence and plan and mission for your life to join him, to reflect his compassion to somebody in your life that you know doesn't know Jesus Christ and that if they died, they would spend eternity in hell? Where are you running from that mission? Living selfishly in whatever way, thinking only about our own eternity, our own future, our own present. Living that way never delivers what it promised. It never turns out the way we thought it would. It didn't for Jonah, as we're going to see. When we disregard God's mission, his commands, when we try to hide from that, that's impossible. How foolish of us. Living obediently in his presence, that's the only place. That's the only way. That's the only place of true safety and refuge. Living obediently according to that mission he's given you, that's the only way you're going to find the peace that you're looking for in the other direction. I want to close with this. I wonder how, I wonder how Jonah felt as he traveled to Joppa. Because, you know, they didn't have airplanes and buses and trains. Probably took him a while to get from the northern part of Israel all the way to the Mediterranean coast and then find a ship that just happened to be going to the end of the earth at the time, Spain. I wonder how he felt as he was running away from the Lord, how he felt when he actually purchased that one-way ticket. You know, I would like to think that he was sick to his stomach, that he was eaten up with guilt about what he was actually doing, that he knew he was running from God but he did it anyway. But he didn't, he didn't turn back. He had plenty of time to think about it and he didn't turn back. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're running from God. And that could be true in so many different ways for each of us here. But maybe God has given you a plan for your life, a mission to join him as a Christian, to deliver the hope of the gospel to someone in your life that you have put in their own category, that you've given up on, you've said it's impossible for that person to know the Lord for turn, to turn their lives around. And you're right, it is impossible for them to turn their lives around. But it is not impossible for Jesus to get a hold of their heart and to use you to communicate the love and to show them that redemption is real. But where are you running from the presence of God, from the plan, the mission of God? Who are you avoiding? This is hard for us to think about, but we have a better example than Jonah. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Every single one of us here knows someone in our lives who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but do our hearts reflect God's compassion for them to be saved. Let's not be like Jonah. Let's be like Jesus and see every person around us in every car, in every grocery store, in every cubicle next to you, beside you in your apartment, wherever you spend your time. Let's see every person as created in the image of God. Though we may disagree with them on so many things that are in the news, or in the world, we see them and we see ourselves equally in need of the salvation of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Let's be just like Jesus and let's see that the risk 
the risk is worth it. The sacrifice is worth it. The sacrifice has already been made. That's the hope and that's the message we have. Kyle's gonna play a song for us here in just a minute. We're gonna close. Before he does that though, I wanna challenge you that throughout this series, over these next five weeks, I want you to think of one person, just one person in your life that you, you know they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You, you know that there's no evidence, let's say it that way, there's no evidence in their lives that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they love him and adore him. I want you to think of one person in your life that you can pray for and commit to praying for in hopes of sharing the gospel with at some point down the road throughout this series as we cover and go through this great story of Jonah. Can we commit to that, church? Amen? Let's pray to that end. Let's pray that God would soften our hearts as we continue to explore his grace to Jonah. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great message of hope that we see in the opposite of what Jonah did. Jesus, everything you did. So Lord, I pray that as we continue to see this story over these next five weeks, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would speak deeply, Lord, into our lives and show us the areas where we are running, just like Jonah. We've categorized people, we've labeled them as people to be avoided or people to not speak to or not notice or acknowledge, Lord, help us, forgive us. For this us versus them way that as Christians, we should never live that way. Lord, forgive us for not following your example. You came to earth to die for your enemies, us. Jesus, help us to not choose comfort over the risk that are involved with sharing the gospel with others. It's hard, it's difficult work take the time and invest in someone's life, Jesus, but help us. Forgive us for not doing that already. Forgive us for where we've already said, we've looked at it, it seems like a marathon and it's impossible, but Lord, let us have faith. Let us have trust and courage that with you, all salvation is possible for any person in our lives. Lord, may we not give up on anybody. Forgive us for if we already have. Turn our hearts around, Lord Jesus. And let us believe truly, deeply, that we have the greatest treasure that anything or anyone in this world could ever find. Jesus, we have the eternal riches of heaven waiting for us. A relationship with you, peace and joy and reconciliation with all people forever and ever in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we have you. May we act and live as those who've been given the greatest gift. May we be compelled overwhelmingly to share it. So Lord, have mercy on us. And at the same time, encourage us, motivate us to do this well. Teach us, Lord, through your word over these next five weeks. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.